0: You're listening to Between the Ears with Luke McPherson. I'm your host, Luke, and it's an absolute honor to have you lending me your ears for an hour and a bit um, to listen to this little show of mine. Today on the show, I have an absolute ripper episode with someone, a good friend of mine, who I've known for a very long time. His name's Riley Folds, he's the Rhodes Scholarship recipient for the University of Western Australia in 2022. He's heading over to Oxford University a little bit later in the year. And he, yeah, he uh, gave me a bit of his time to sit and chat about the scholarship, chat about his philosophies about life, hard work, following your dreams. And um, yeah, I said it later in the episode, it's a bit of a Dylan Friends quote, but after having a chat with Riley, I just felt like I could go and run through a brick wall. I was that excited, that up and about it was um it was so good to sit and have a chat with someone someone who i've known for a very long time but to actually get an insight into into the stuff that he's devoting his life to was was really cool now if you haven't already please like and subscribe the show tell your friends leave a rating leave a review episode 14 riley falls let's go Well, I'm very excited to be sitting next to this man today. I actually think that's how I start the episode every week. So maybe I should come up with something more exciting, but it's still true. I am very excited to be sitting next to the man that I am next to today. His name's Riley Folds. Um I'm a bit at a loss as to how I introduce him. I guess. Are you a Rhodes Scholar yet? Officially?
1: Uh, I think technically now I am, now that my course in college is confirmed. There was a bit of a grey area, liminal space there where I didn't really know, but I think it's confirmed now,
0: yeah. Okay, so I'm sitting next to a Rhodes Scholar, he's already used the word liminal space and i <laughs> if you don't have a dictionary besides you as you're listening to this episode, get one because I'm going to be very confused and we're going to need to define a lot of the things Riley says today, but he's a Rhodes Scholar, Google that as well while you're looking up what liminal space means. Um, he's a very smart man and where to talk a little bit about his life his journey and what's been going on I reckon we get into gratitude first though because that's where we start
1: so it's good to get into gratitude
0: exactly <laughs> do you want to um, take the reins
1: yeah I can start good uh, because yeah. I haven't
0: really thought about mine oh, okay <laughs> so you go for We'll it.
1: get grateful and yeah. I'll, I'll, Thank you, I'll get grateful in the meantime uh, yeah the last couple of weeks have been very busy uh, and in a very good way, it's been, as, as our good friend Harry Kema would say, it's Taurus vibes, it's Taurus season, and so a lot of the people in my life have had birthdays, including myself. And so the last fortnight, we've had a lot of birthday action, uh, and this week was my birthday, and it was really nice to have lots of time with friends and family, to be able to compel them to do things with me uh, that I want to do. And so, yeah, you know, I leave for overseas in a few months, so spending that time with them it's been really, really nice, and yeah, Perth has really turned it on weather-wise. The other thing that I've been grateful for is the colour green. Okay. Because yeah, I was down south last week at my grandparents' place, and and we went out to Wellington Dam and drove around the Capel Capel Collie boiling up kind of region, and it was just so green, uh, so much. You know, there's been a fair bit of rain already, and so that's been really, really beautiful. Because uh, yeah, it's it's a beautiful time of year here. It sure is. And yeah, place is very important to me. And so seeing it green just warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> and then the other thing that I'm grateful for is I'm going on a trip for a couple of weeks with my mum down. We're going through Haydn and Wave Rock and then down to Bremer Bay and Walpole. And yeah, to spend that time with her, get on really well with my mum and have a couple of weeks with her in a really beautiful place is very exciting for me too. And so I'm really grateful for how much of the organising and packing she's done while I've been doing birthday things. So that's me for this week.
0: Lovely. And happy birthday. Um, As you said, it is Taurus season, so happy birthday. (laughs) It's a pleasure to have you on board in your busy schedule. I I was actually jumping off the back of that, um, working, well, out of school at the moment, and we get little notifications when it's kids' birthdays. Ah. And during the week, it was one of the kids' birthdays, and all the other kids were like, oh, it's this boy's birthday? And he was, he's like quite shy and he was like, no, it's not. So he looked it up and we were like, well, it is your birthday. And kids don't quite understand, like they don't want the attention and stuff. But birthdays are actually a beautiful thing because it's a day, as you said, where everyone gets around you and it's a celebration of yourself. And in a very busy world that we live, it's one of the last sort of things where we can truly Mm. just celebrate a person for who they are? It's pretty special, hey.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, had such a nice dinner, and then yeah, I forced everyone, <laughs> lots of family friends, to come to Mojos with me. Lovely to see my my um, friends' band, and yeah, about half the crowd were you know people that I knew. So <laughs> it's very nice. That's know. the best. Had no choice.
0: <laughs> That's the best. Now I'll get into my three. Hey, I I want to give a shout out to sport. Obviously, the other day I had. Um, friend of the show Simon watched it on and he talked about how he was grateful for hockey because obviously hockey for us like we Mm. wouldn't be doing this show without hockey we wouldn't have the great friendship that we do without hockey another sport that I love is basketball I woke up this morning to watch my team lose which I wasn't um, grateful for but I just think how cool is sport Um, it brings so many people together it's somewhere to go if you don't have your own community creates community it creates common interests a lot of the kids at this one of the schools i work at love basketball and that's a bit of a common ground where we can go and Mm. um the other day we had a kid wasn't too happy but we went and we just shot hoops together for a a little while and um he won and blocked me and was way better (laughs) than me and it's just like sport is such a common thing that we can all relate to not everyone loves it but i think it's really cool similar to yours the time of the year the weather Mm. and right now the sun's still out but it's not too hot it's just um beautiful part of the world we live in i'm very lucky and grateful for the environment that we have um and rest i Mm. never used to be the type of person that burns the candle at both ends i feel like you're a bit of a doer and we'll touch on that but recently i've just been burning it at both ends and it was actually my mum. she was like you just got to be kind to yourself. I don't like to sit still. So Mm. last night, I took myself to the movies on a little date. Did you? Um, Yep, date with myself and sat there and just did nothing. And then this morning, i liked to go for a bike ride on Saturday morning, but just cancelled and just had the morning in bed. And it's beautiful Mm. to rest and relax. And it was really good to take that opportunity. Yeah, you deserve it. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. They're my three. Now, let's get into being a road scholar. Now I've got my little note here. So people, when they think of, you know, some of the great minds of our time, right. They often thought like a way that they would describe them was like radical thinkers, right? Like mm-hmm. people who think outside the box change. So I thought that Rhodes scholar was actually a rogue scholar, <laughs> <laughs> and it sort of linked into that, you know, <laughs> radical thought. And that was the yeah. way that it was, you know, they were a rogue scholar. They're so smart that they think outside the box. Mm. They're radical thinkers. I love that. But that's not that's not the case. No, so what's a rogue that's not scholar? Quite the case. For those who like me just think it's someone who's radical, you know, a bit of a rogue thinker, a rogue, a rogue. Scholar, yeah, well, I'd say that's that's true in some cases. Thank you. I'd say it's
1: increasingly true as well, <laughs> which is a good thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. You know, that makes me feel better. In probably. our generation, it might be a bit truer, uh, but yeah. So the, the Rhodes Scholarship is a is a scholarship for the University of Oxford that was founded by a man called Cecil Rhodes, who was I think the Prime Minister of, of South Africa or, or whatever the iteration of that nation was. In his time, so in the late 1800s, uh, Zimbabwe was used to be called Rhodesia, and that was after him, after Rhodes. And so, he owned an extremely uh, world-dominating mining company at the time uh, that basically, you know, exploited the natural and human resources of of Southern Africa and beyond to make him copious amounts of money. And so Cecil Rhodes had some very what we would say today are very suspect uh, and and egregious ideas around race around the superiority of of the british race in particular and what he wanted to do was found a scholarship that would send people from initially from southern africa and then from the other colonies of the british empire and the commonwealth to oxford university which was his alma mater in order for them to you know expand their minds and create a community of, of leaders that would would work together to prevent conflict into the future and erodes his time that was you know specifically white young men who were good at sport okay. and academics yeah uh, and nowadays that has changed completely thank God uh, and in the last couple of decades has expanded out uh, across Commonwealth countries and beyond and so there are I think at the moment about 110 scholarships from around the world uh, that go to people from all backgrounds. Uh, it was open up to women I think in the 70s, far too late of course, but now today is a really diverse scholarship with a focus on rectifying some of those past wrongs and on bringing together leaders that will genuinely push for um, fighting the world's fight is one of the, the Rhodes Trust slogans. and so. Yeah, that's the scholarship fund is for for young people uh, who have a passion for something that's going to help the world in the future, they get a yeah scholarship to Oxford.
0: So you said that number of 100 and something, so is that a mm. yearly thing they're giving out? Yeah, yearly? so every year, yeah. Okay, wow, amazing. So I guess how does it link in to you? Uh, let's start, obviously we'll go back and we'll talk about how the whole thing came about, mm-hmm. but in terms of you fighting the world's fight. Is that the yeah. slogan? <laughs> really fighting the world's fight. <laughs> <laughs> but but why is that something that you've been chosen to do? I know um, that you have a lot of your own views and things that you think of the world that needs to change, but how does that fit into your life and what you're trying to do?
1: Yeah, so for me, so the scholarship kind of selection process is based on character, your academic Talents, your uh, and your talents beyond academic. So whether that is sport and showing leadership and community service through sport, or whether it's through the arts or or volunteering, um, that's you know the, the crucial parts of the scholarship. And so for me, that that's my academic interests across science and the arts. So I I studied agricultural science and English at uni. Graduated last year. Did my honours in creative writing, uh, and and my real interest is in kind of leveraging that interdisciplinary background to find ways to better understand uh, and better communicate the urgency of the climate crisis in particular so I'm really interested in environmental issues as my you know as well as being passionate about various other social and cultural issues uh, I yeah have the environment as, as kind of my main core focus and so in my writing I write poetry mostly and and and. What we call criticism so book reviews and 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 in my in my you know honors research uh, i was really interested in in working out different ways to understand the places that we know really well uh, and to help communicate to people how important those places are in an ecological sense and then in a cultural sense how we can communicate the importance of that and how under threat it is through the climate crisis you know and finding different ways to do that through through poetry or through journalism, through you know the different mediums of communication, um, and and building you know scientific perspectives into that, building artistic perspectives into it, and so I think that's what the selection panel saw in me as a as a as you know a kind of unique toolkit. Oh, well, it's not necessarily unique, but <laughs> as my toolkit for helping fight the world's fight is taking that you know broad range of perspectives and interests. Into into Oxford and learning how to kind of harness them to have have an impact.
0: Awesome, awesome. <laughs> now, one the thing you touched on, yeah. I like that you said you talk about writing criticism. So, if I see any negative reviews <laughs> that are really well written, it's <laughs> very floral language. I'll know that it came it's from me. you on the podcast, or well, maybe
1: my literary enemies yeah. as well, trying to bring you down oh, because of our okay. association. Yeah, yeah. there. Why did you get Riley on it and, yeah, exactly. and not me? Yeah.
0: Um. Now talk to me about the process how long in terms of do you get selection selected um out of the bunch or do you have to apply and what was it like when you when you found out that you were part of this one historic and two very prestigious system that is in place through oxford university
1: yeah so really the one criterion kind of benchmark is a certain academic grade so if you have a gpa above a certain level you can apply what is um, that Uh, Not
0: your GPA, but what level were you at? What's What's the level that you need to be at?
1: You have to be able to apply for an Oxford course. And so generally that's, I think, a a 3.75 out of 4 in the American system. So it's like 6.75 or something. So you basically have to be above 80. Your average has to be an HD.
0: Yeah. Which is very impressive. Does that... Obviously you're a smart guy, but does that sink into you how impressive that is in itself?
1: Uh, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I you know without trying to sound like a you know this isn't a place of honesty yeah okay it actually Um, ruins the podcast well Well, this is me kind of it it is honestly at through high school and at uni what motivates me is the learning I really have a passion for the things that I'm learning get really Mm -hmm. excited by them and so yeah I don't necessarily find it that impressive in myself you know having good marks necessarily but I do think that it is something that can kind of Give confidence and so it does give me confidence knowing that you know I've achieved at this level through my degree and I have that background kind of yeah and okay. the, the rigor the academic rigor to be able to hopefully you know take it take it to Oxford yeah, yeah. so anyway it's it's quite it's quite a stringent yeah. kind of requirement there but you know there's quite a lot of people that fall into that category and then the selection process is you do an application which has an essay component and sort of a personal statement. And that's where you start to signal how you want to fight the world's fight. And then your CV, and that's where all the volunteering things come in, your sports leadership, other leadership. Yeah. Uh, And then, yeah, if you're a finalist, I think there were six finalists or seven finalists in WA. And from there, you have a formal dinner at Government House with the governor and the selection panel which was pretty interesting. Seven courses. So we moved around the table with each course to,
0: oh, Lord. to
1: talk to each
0: panelist, which was actually really fun. It was quite intimidating. It sounds... it sounds Intimidating is one word for how it sounds. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few other choice, this, choice yeah, words. Go um, for it.
1: Yeah, but it was, um, it was interesting. Not really an environment that I was that familiar with, but great to meet the other finalists. Two of them were actually friends of mine already. Um and then there's the interviews themselves. And, and that's about a 45 minute interview where each panelist asks you a question and it can be on anything. Uh, they asked, the first one I got was, you know, what motivates you when you wake up in the morning? And I said, the tree outside my window, beautiful, Melaleuca, Quinquinovia. Went on, you know, wax lyrical about that for a while, and then there was a question about China and Australia's relationship with China. There was a question about science funding. There's just this really broad array mm. of questions that you know aim to test your intellect and your character and your knowledge, blah blah blah. And so from there, yeah, I was selected.
0: <laughs> and what's it? What was it like when you found out? Because obviously, I found out through I think it was social media from UWA saying that you have mm. been selected, and it was this. It was qu- quite a big thing. Obviously, there's photos of you with the governor. And um, yeah, it's very historical and t- traditional. But what was mm. it like for you when you actually found out? Was it really significant for you?
1: Yeah, it was a real it was a real whirlwind. Because how it works is you've had your interview in the morning. They select that same day. Oh. So they bring all the finalists back together into a room and then announce the winner. That's... Which, <sighs>
0: That's ridiculous. Yeah, it
1: was, it was, it was like nothing else. It was very strange, and it's actually something I've been speaking with the, the WA Roads people to hopefully change in the future because it wasn't a very nice way to find out for the other finalists that they mm. didn't get it. wasn't really a very nice way for me to find no. out that I'd won it either in this room full of you know dozens of people and get whisked out to have an interview with Straight the media. Away. Yeah, so it was a real whirlwind. And very strange. I was in shock. You know my you know the other finalists were congratulating me but it wasn't really sinking in and and the biggest thing for me was my papa gordon who's my my grandpa he had died just a few weeks before this and he was probably the person you know who i would first tell something like this to Mm. um he was a massive anglophile so the fact that i was applying for this scholarship and uh you know potentially having the opportunity to go to oxford one day was really exciting for him but he was really sick for sort of 6 weeks before he died and so that was the the my first thought and and kind of the most yeah most emotional part of it was that you know he wasn't there to tell mm. that yeah that he wasn't around anymore and that was in my mind the whole time and that was that was quite hard quite emotional to yeah
0: especially when you're in a chaotic room it's quite hard to process all of those Mm. emotions i can imagine Mm. now you're obviously going to be heading to oxford at some point so i guess that's sort of the selection process what's come after that and then i guess what's coming next for you
1: yeah so it's a funny one because you know some scholarships or uni courses you apply for and if you get in then you head Straight away sort of mm. thing, you know, it's in a couple of months, you have to pack, get your visas and you're off. But this was back in August last year, August, September, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> a full year between being announced mm. and then going away. Yeah. And so there's this strange kind of position where you've been offered this wild scholarship with all these incredible privileges and opportunities attached but I hadn't actually applied for the university yet. So I was actually in my course. Yeah. So everyone's like, congratulations, what are you studying? What's happening? What college are you at? And I was just sitting there saying, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully I'll go. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was exciting getting it, but at the same time it hadn't actually happened yet. Like, mm. I didn't really believe I was going until a couple months ago when my college was actually locked in. Yeah. And so, yeah, so then I had to, you know, kind of process these emotions I'm going to be away from home for four years potentially in this gray drizzly place like what's this going to be like and and had to go through the process of applying for the college and the course Uh, and so yeah I I applied for a couple of courses and got into uh, to the ones that I wanted and so yeah, I'm doing a master's of world literatures in English yeah and that's a one-year master's and then hopefully I'll do my doctorate after that is the current plan but that could change and Yeah, I basically had to apply for that course and my college. And get this, Luke. Oxford University, you have to be attached to a college. There are over 40 colleges and permanent private halls at Oxford. And you have to nominate one. Oh, wow. So I'm sitting there looking at these, you know, these colleges with buildings from the 13th century and these amazing libraries. And, you know, being a book guy, I'm a book guy. (laughs) I was just a bit overwhelmed by all this. (laughs) Like a spreadsheet and trying to work it out. And eventually I just had to go... Kind of on vibes, but
0: um. and and have you got in? Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: So I'm in. That's so it's called good. Worcester College. Yeah, it yeah. sounds right, like yeah. the sauce, like the sauce. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do not know you are gonna say that. <laughs> Did you pick um. it
0: because of so it was between that and mayonnaise college and yeah, um, exactly, ketchup college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ketchup college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: yeah, mixed Italian
0: herbs. Yeah, nice. Herbs. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about. Obviously, it's great that you got in. Mm. I like that you said that you got in. Um, it's really <laughs> weird that you said you had to apply after you have got this great yeah, scholarship. Yeah. Um, for people who want a little bit more context yeah. of what this is, because it all sounds so great. Mm-hmm. But who are some of the people that have been Rhodes Scholars? Because we're talking like Prime Ministers of Australia have been... Race yeah. Race, right? Yeah. Like Bob Hawke is one yep. that my dad always says. Yeah. Because he likes the Bob Hawke drunk beer. Yeah.
1: He's <laughs> <laughs> a great one, yeah. Get but what light. is some Bob of Hawk the... Bob Hawke was a road scholar, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, there you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um,
0: but it is very prestigious and it's very historic, as we mentioned. But who were some of the people that have come through?
1: Yeah, so Prime Ministers and politicians are some of the most prominent ones. So mm-hmm. Bob Hawke... Malcolm Turnbull, Tony Abbott, Uh, yeah. (laughs) Let's pause for a moment, moment silence. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but you got those, and then Kim Beasley yeah, uh, is prominent one from WA. I think Jeff Gallup as well, premier. So various premiers and other politicians like Josh Frydenberg. Uh, He he's a Rhodes Scholar and various others. And and then you've also got just a wide array of people from you know some of the most prominent scientists in Australia and the world, Richard Flanagan. Man or prize-winning author, was a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, and so, yeah, in Australia, you have this this incredible array of, you know, famous politicians, writers, scientists, lawyers. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool.
0: Now, I've written two negative things down. This mm-hmm. might be the negative side of my yeah. brain, but as soon as you start naming all those names, you start naming the history. The two things that I think of is Pressure, and imposter syndrome, mm. and I'm not saying that you are an imposter. Oh, no, Actually, no, no, no. far from it. I that. thought you were talking about Tony Abbott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. That'll get. It. And he listens to. He'll yeah, be he's so annoyed while he eats a raw onion. Um, tell me a little bit about those sorts of feelings, because it is. There are people who have gone on and achieved great things. There's probably people that have gone on and, and buggered enough and not mm. achieved that much, but we don't hear about them. You hear about mm. all these. Great people that have had the opportunities that you have, and now they're X, Y, Z. What is the the pressure like? Are you do you feel any pressure at the moment?
1: I I do yeah I do definitely and it's an interesting position to be in kind of feeling pressure at the moment because you know I studied for six years at uni and then so I've had this kind of deadline treadmill for a long time and then right now i have stopped working mm. so i stopped i worked as an environmental scientist for the last few years stopped doing that um and i'm just literally taking a few months break yeah uh, but i just feel i still feel like i've got stuff to do mm. um and i feel i feel that pressure of kind of just general you know ticking the boxes and achievement in a way as well as this pressure that you speak of you know the pressure of expectation the weight of expectation and imposter syndrome yeah is is rife in yeah. the roads you know the, the roads scholars elect that i know so the other yeah. australians feel very similarly um that yeah you hear these names and you think oh my god <laughs> yeah i have to achieve that it's been very interesting because a lot of the the older road scholars that i've met so you know after being announced i've met quite a lot of the ones that live in perth I met some over east at the national dinner of kind of the Rhodes Association and they were saying to us, you don't have to live up to anyone's expectations. Basically what we've been told by a lot of people is they're, they're taking a, a gamble on you. They're basically mm. backing you in to do something good, you know, do yeah. something good for the world. But that doesn't have to be what you've said in your interview. That doesn't have to be become the prime minister of Australia or win the Booker Prize. That just has to be you take the opportunity that you're given and do what you will with it. And so that's been quite nice to try and try and force that in past the you know the many defenses of imposter syndrome and pressure and expectation to try and think I've actually been given this opportunity to do what I love for you know two to four years. And try and make whatever I will out of that. So that's been quite a nice thought. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's hard to actually make that sink into the psyche mm-hmm. <laughs> and push past all the other things. But I'm really, I'm really glad that that's the the modern Rhodes scholarship is. We're giving you this opportunity to go to a place where there's so much more than academics, mm-hmm. so much more than achievement in that sense. You know, there's sport. There's the Oxford Union where they organise amazing debates with some of the most exciting, interesting people from around the world, actors and thinkers and politicians and philosophers. You know, And there's poetry clubs and readings, which excites me. And, you know, all these things that will just, if you take that opportunity, can open your mind, build connections with people from around the world. And so I feel a real pressure to now to take advantage of those opportunities, not let myself, you know, just you know, go through the motions while I'm over there, but I'm starting to feel that pressure of expectation a little bit less, you know, from Mm. external because it's not those people who are putting it on us. You know, it's me thinking I want to be a scholar, a writer. I want to be a poet with books published, you know, because I want my message to get out there to the world. (laughs) (laughs) But it's me saying those things, you know. It's not really the Rhodes people or the uni people. They just want to facilitate whatever your journey will be. Mm. And so that's a real privilege. That's a really, you know, really nice kind of position to be in. Yeah. But I think, as you know, trying to remove your own kinds of barriers and, mm. and self-expectations is a completely different matter. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now, one thing I talked about a couple of episodes uh, with um, Joe Brady his CEO of the mm. Dockers, and he was talking about the pressure to always do things and keep moving and keep moving forward. And mm. you said something really interesting to me just then about you have nothing to do right now and still your brain's like I have so much stuff to do you haven't wired yourself to sit still Mm. and I'm a little bit the same I have this sort of aversion to rest I know I said you know my gratitude that I rested Mm. last night but Mm. that was it was really hard work and I had to plan (laughs) my rest the whole week and be like I'm resting Mm. how do you because a lot of people use a lot of different techniques to just sit and be still. Mm. Are you working anything out at the moment as to how to rest and do nothing for a little bit of time before the storm mm. begins again?
1: Yeah, I'm quite I'm quite a funny person. I'm quite all or nothing. So mm. I in order to feel relaxed, I kind of need to have absolutely nothing. Yeah. In order to I need to kind of find a way to carve out that time planned Um, relaxation exactly planned relaxation i'm really lucky both sets of my grandparents um, one set lives down south in Capel, and the other set have a place where they used to live on the estuary at mandarin so my most relaxed but also most kind of creatively stimulating and and interesting times for me is when i just go down there and there's not the pressure of having to organize you know feeling like i've got time i should be seeing people and hanging out or i should be writing i have to write i have to write i should be writing and submitting poetry to magazines and journals and you know or working my thesis into an essay to be published in a scholarly journal you know it's like you don't have to be doing those things and so i need to like take myself down there where the reception's so bad that i can't access my email Mm. in order to relax yeah and so that's you know one strategy is to actually do that but then i'm slowly trying to work on just taking you know 10 minute snatches to read a book and see yeah. it. And my mum's really good at it, at trying to make me realize that, you know, that's okay as well. You can kind of, and she, she tries to make me be more efficient with things. Cause I'm the kind of person who just float around. If I've got to mow the lawn and vacuum the house one day, yeah, I'll just kind of like float in between doing it. i like mow the front lawn and then get distracted by something and look at it. And then she says, no, get it done. <laughs> It'll take you 10 minutes to do it. And yeah. then you can relax. I'm not very good at it. I'm a massive procrastinator. Yeah. Uh, But I'm just kind of slowly in these few months trying to... It's really like a mental thing, you Mm. know, a psychic thing, just fooling myself into realizing that, you know, procrastination can be rest time as well, you Mm. know. Just kind of pottering around is okay. Yeah. So that's not really a good answer because it's not like, here's my five-step, you know, here's 13 rules for life, Luke. (laughs) It's, you know, it's just kind of, yeah trying to force myself into it.
0: The thing I would say to you is mm. you're wrong. It was a good answer oh, okay. because n- nothing, <laughs> nothing's like binary and one thing yeah. that works for you will work, not work for someone else. And I think I liked what you said about just being okay to sit, mm. and being okay and taking some time. And the thing mm. that I always say is if you're starting to put the effort in, then you're already on the journey. And if you're starting to put the effort in, you don't have to have the secret to working it out. Like Mm. you said, the Buzzfeed articles. um, (laughs) But I think the attempt is Mm. often worth so much. Now let's go to a little bit of criticism. And I can't remember, someone might've written it or said it or something, but obviously yours is the poetry. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got this great mind, and I remember someone had written or said it. mm-hmm. it,'d be like, "He's got this great opportunity, and he's going to write poems about the environment." Yeah, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And people were almost questioning that side of it. in terms of what you're doing and, and that side of things. Can you talk to me about the belief in what you're doing in? being important because Mm. a lot of people who aren't great road scholars and um great minds of our generations often quite um find it quite easy to pot researchers or these people and say what are they doing that for you Mm. know people who do doctorates and everyone's like they've Mm. studied for so long what a waste Mm. of time get a job you hippie (laughs) um what is your sort of beliefs and philosophy when it comes to study and education and the way that you're going about your life
1: yeah that, that's another layer of pressure just yeah. firstly because i you know i i studied science yeah. and for a long time people were saying you should just do that get a job you can write on the side mm. you can kind of you know pursue your passions that yeah. way and that's true you know i could definitely have done that yeah people do amazing work but just always i had this this feeling of I mm. would, you know, do my soil science yeah. lectures and, and notes and go to the tutes and enjoy it, find it really interesting. But then I go to an English lecture or tutorial and mm. just be, just have this this zing, this frisson of yeah. excitement and energy. Yeah. And even the science, I was thinking about it in a kind of arts or humanities yeah. to paint a really broad brushstroke uh, from that kind of lens.
0: Yeah. And, and there's, sorry to interrupt, no, no, there's no, people from, there's people that went to school with you mm-hmm. who were probably not as smart as you, who now have, who went and did law or something else and now have a really good job working, mm. getting paid a good salary and setting themselves up for life. And they probably go, oh, Riley was so smart, but he's still studying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, what, yeah. How do you respond to some of those attitudes? Because everyone will know someone or a few people in their life. Mm. Who are incredibly intelligent mm. that are still studying whilst it's almost like other people are getting ahead. Yeah, yeah. Which I hate that phrase because it's actually not true. But yeah, you definitely. Talk.
1: Yeah, well, the, the reason I think that's not true is because, not to be trite, but everyone, you know, operates differently mm-hmm. and is intellectually stimulated differently. Like, you know, whether it's an academic kind of intellect or a more practical one or, you know, a financial-focused one, mm. whatever it is. For me, and I think for a lot of people who study for a long time, that style of of learning things from, you know, the kind of the rogue thinkers, mm. yeah, f- learning knowledge that's from the, the forefront of, of thinking is often the thinking that's coming from, from universities, that's coming mm. from from writers and researchers and research scientists who are, who are you know, pushing those boundaries. And so that's the kind of work that really excites me, you yeah. know. My work as a scientist was most exciting when I was reading about those things, when I was kind of writing my version of those things for clients or, you know, as a writer, it's taking those things on board and, and, and writing them in my, you know, in my style, through yeah. my perspective about the places that I'm interested in. And so... What I mean by that is, is that why I think academic study is so useful and specifically why I've decided to go down the kind of arts route is because, you know, those ideas are the ones that eventually channel into the mainstream to affect our culture, to affect our politics, you know, the kinds of. Arguments and debates that are being, having, being had at the moment about the Indigenous voice to Parliament and that referendum are things that have been argued about in the academy, you know, mm-hmm. quote-unquote academy, for a long time. And that researchers have been thinking about, writers have been thinking about, that our First Nations academics have been working on for a really long time. And it's now, you know, entering kind of our popular conversation and those same arguments are being had. And these thinkers are the ones who, you know, are influencing both sides of that debate. And so, something like writing, like poetry, you know, taking this this Rhodes scholarship and bloody well, writing poetry with it, <laughs> I don't, you know, I have to sometimes convince myself that that is a worthy thing to do because, you know, I, I could potentially have won it as a as a scientist mm. um, or someone else, a scientist could have it and go and you know be re- researching things that help with food security or you know mm. cancer yeah. treatments, things like that. But the reason that I think, you know writing in particular, but the arts and the humanities are so important is because they influence those conversations on a really wide scale over time. It's not an instant thing, but finding new ways to communicate things, finding radical ways to to think about these issues through poetry or through essay or through journalism can be really, really influential. And I think, you know, in the environmental space, for example, people... You know, there was plenty of journalism and there was plenty of academic work, there was plenty of science being done about the dangers of agricultural chemicals, you know, of mm. chemical use uh in agriculture and in, in, in our water supply and things like this in the forties and fifties. But it wasn't until Silent Spring by Rachel Carson was written mm. that all of a sudden these conversations were had in the mainstream. This one book became so popular and there are errors in that book. There are problems with the discourse of that book, but people started thinking about, you know, how we influence the environment has an effect for humans as well. Mm. And it has an effect into the future, generation after generation. And that changed the way we do our farming, that changed the way people care about the environment, care about agriculture, care about the way we use land. So a single book like that, and there are various other examples. I could go on, <laughs> but that's a really that's quite a well-known one. Yeah. That was a signal to a real shift in how we think, and that's the kind of thinking that I want to be around. It's the kind of thing I want to be doing, and the kind of writing that I want, you know, to be producing over time, mm. because I think it needs it needs all kinds. It takes the, your lawyers, it takes scientists, and it takes creatives, and you know, arts and humanities researchers. To bring those things together in order to create positive change for something like the environment, for something like Indigenous recognition in Australia?
0: That's great. We're holding for applause. That was a really good (laughs) answer. You You did very well. Um let's talk a little bit about your philosophy when it comes to hard work. Are you someone who was always a hard worker, or is that something that you've had to refine and work on over time?
1: Yeah, so my brand of hard work is not one that I would recommend to anyone. <laughs> so any kids listening, don't listen to Uncle Riley. Because, uh, yeah, I, I have I have quite a, a chaotic style of, of hard work. Mm. Um, and, and I would say I'm a hard worker. I put a lot of time and effort and energy and thought into everything that I do, from you know the academic stuff to hockey to the volunteering that I do. Uh, and I always give it 100%. Uh, but sometimes that 100% means I have a 1,000-word essay due in mm. two weeks and I'll sit down to start it and my mind will be like, it's in two weeks. Mm. Why don't you scroll ABC News and then New Yorker and read some poems and then scroll Facebook, scroll Gmail, you know? for f- This will happen for, for days and days and days. And I'll get a little bit done. I'll be doing a bit of research and then the deadline will be the next day and I will just be in this intensive focus mode that I managed to do all my research and, and get it done and get it together and write a good essay. And I feel, oh my God, imagine if I'd spent two weeks on that. I would enjoy that mm. so much. Uh so But there's know. people
0: who do that. Yeah. And one of them is sitting opposite to you on a couch right now. Oh Where? Where? <laughs> <laughs> But there's so many people, I feel like that's most uni students in yeah. the world, but they're not road scholars. Yeah. So how okay. does that how does that change to mm. translate into your getting these incredible results. Yeah. Because lots okay. people procrastinate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're still managing to get the best out yeah, of yourself.
1: Yeah. I, I do, so yeah, I do have an answer for that beyond the kind of you know procrastination or chaos mm. or whatever it is. Uh, and that's that I really if I if I enjoy doing something, I will hold on to it. Mm. I'm really lucky that my parents and my family have facilitated this for me and really said, you can do both. That's something that my mum has always said my whole life. You know, I'd be like, oh, you know, Luke wants to hang out after hockey, but I've also got to do a bit of study. And my mum would say, you can do both. Mm. Just work it out. You know, you can have your cake and eat it too sometimes. Yeah. And so that's in, you know, specific moments like hanging out with luke after hockey Mm. uh but it's also in you know my my study and research interests i loved science at school but i really loved english as well and so at uni i was thinking if i want to be a really good agricultural scientist if i want to you know be at the top of the game maybe i really need to focus on that maybe i should study ag and i should study botany or chemistry Mm. or something as well but i just thought then i'll be you know not doing something else that I really love and so I studied English as well and you know I did a linguistics unit an Indonesian unit I you know did teach learn grow volunteering but still played hockey and you know made a find a way to make that work I write poetry outside of uni and find a way to you know submit that and 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 for me what the hard work when the hard work has been necessary is to make those things continue to work And to find a way to bring those things together so that I am kind of being stimulated in, you know, all the ways that are important to me. Um, And so I guess my success, I'm doing air air quotes here, (laughs) success as a Rhodes Scholar has come from working really, really hard to maintain those passions. And again, you know, I want to acknowledge the privilege of having a really supportive family who have, you know, seen... Even if that's not the most kind of financially secure route for me or if that's not the, the one that's going to give me the best job or a job that my family think is going to be mm. appropriate, they have always supported that. And I've also had the privilege of having amazing lecturers and teachers throughout my life who've helped facilitate that as well. At UWA, the English faculty are incredible and they understand the value of science as well. And so they love you know, the fact that they have a student who's doing both or they have students that are doing both. And same for the ag and environment lecturers, you know. These are people who have really pushed that in me. And so to anyone listening, this is what I say, you know, like a couple of times I've been back to my high school to talk to kids and, you know, be inspiring or whatever, be a role model. And I say you can do both, you know. You can do all the things that you love. You can find a way to make it work for you. Try not to let those external pressures of, you need to have this for financial security or for success or whatever, stop you from working really hard to bring those things together.
0: Is it about sacrifice? Is it about prioritising needs and wants? How do you go about... Because at the end of the day, you can see me after hockey and get the assignment done, Mm. but you also still will need to sleep. You'll also Mm. still need to make some money. You'll also need to stay fit and healthy Mm. do you have sort of a and it's something I'm working on at the moment a Mm. hierarchy of my values so that I know that if push comes to shove I value x over y Mm. so I'm going to do something that leads me further towards x do you have your own philosophy in that
1: yeah that's a really good one I think it's something that will become more acute as I continue along Mm -hmm. you know with my degree and my career that things will have to be sacrificed you know, for the past few hockey seasons, at the start of the season, I think, should I really be playing hockey this year? Mm. Is that a good use of my time for the things I enjoy and the things I'm passionate about? Am I contributing the most to, you know, radically trying to save the environment mm. if I'm spending 10 hours a week at hockey? And I think, yeah, you can, as long as you're willing to accept the discomfort of having to miss some trainings you know tell coaches that you're gonna have to miss training or if i really want to go on teach learn grow and, and volunteer i might have to miss a game or two you know for that and so being comfortable with doing that and i think that's that's going to increase going forward you know if i want to be a really good writer i might have to rearrange some of those things but it's also about finding things that are taking your time that aren't adding those good things to your life so for me I have quite an addictive personality in a lot of ways, and so I've really struggled with with screen time over my life, with social media addiction, with other worse addictions that come from the internet, and what I've had to do over time is realise that for me to avoid those things, sometimes I have to cut them out completely. So, for me, I don't have a smartphone, as you know, I have this little banana-shaped Nokia, Mm. and... That makes my life slightly more inconvenient in some ways. But it also means that I don't have that, you know, that distraction and that opportunity to to be drawn into those things. And so rather than, you know, stopping playing hockey because I want to be a better writer, you know, I'll be like, no, I'm going to cut out a smartphone. Mm. I'm not going to have this thing that I know makes me scroll that wastes, you know, hours of my day through high school or whatever it was. I'm going to cut that out completely and give myself that extra time so that i can be playing hockey i can be studying the things i want to study and and that's made a really big difference for me and i still struggle with it you know i still struggle with staying on task when i'm on a screen i think technology is a real bonus but it comes with all these problems in terms of you know balancing things and having to sacrifice things um but yeah cutting that out has made a big difference for me
0: it's i talked about it on an earlier episode Mm. that um one day we'll quit the quit the smartphone and Mm. um and the imperfects podcast which is a podcast that i listen to one of the guys he stopped using the smartphone because he was trying to reduce his screen time but still had a smartphone and someone who's his analogy was someone who's trying to quit smoking doesn't have a pack of cigarettes in Mm. their pocket which is similar so yeah it's very cool but at the same time it's it is difficult because there's things that you miss out on and I know mm. that some of your friends will make fun of you because it, cause you're still doing the click the number four, four times to type <laughs> yeah. the letter N, which is really difficult. Like there yeah. is things that technology's progress for a reason, right? <laughs> yeah. How do you, is there a way that you can sort of consolidate and accept some of the inconveniences in your life because you know it's for a, for a higher purpose?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I still I still have an iPad. I get accused of being an iPad kid occasionally. That's <laughs> like, like a, I feel like <laughs> it's like a huge smartphone that you can't fit in your pocket.
0: It's more of a thing for nans. <laughs> yeah, everyone's nan.
1: <laughs> my grandma and I are the iPad users in the family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah She's course. like on solitaire, and I'm <laughs> on one search looking for essays. You know, um, but yeah. So so I can still access those things. But even so, I I I'm very close to deactivating Facebook because when I'm on my iPad, I just like get drawn in. You know. Yeah. Anyway. Back to the question, um, the way to accept those things about yourself, you know, accept the, the FOMO of, you know, not being able to be on the group chat video call or having to sit and type out a text and it's frustrating uh, is to actually have people in your life who accept it. That's what I found is that my close friends tease me relentlessly about it, but they also understand it. You know, and so they won't send me a message on Facebook and then complain because I haven't replied to it for days. They will send me a message on Facebook and not care and just wait until I reply or they'll call me, you know, Mm. and they know that I don't like to text. So some of my friends will just give me a quick call to impart important information, you know, and people accept that I have to look up where I'm going. If I'm going to a new place, I have to maps it beforehand and memorize it. You know, and sometimes that doesn't work as well, and I end up on the wrong freeway. But people kind of accept that to an extent about me, and my closest friends, you know, they just know it. Mm. They accept it, and and so I can accept it as well because I'm actually not missing out on those things then. Mm-hmm. And that's like something not to take this, you know, small thing and and blow it out into a you know a big moment or or Do lesson. It. But that's kind of the way I think about the environment or I think about my interaction with other social justice issues or whatever is that you you have you know you have to kind of accept doing things a different way if you want things to change you know i have to accept that i have to drive less Mm. i have to spend more time actually you know working in the garden down at my grandparents place at mandra if i want to stop effects of salt poisoning in the trees you know Mm. and i have to accept that that means i have to go down there more and see friends less or whatever it happens to be kind of coming to acceptance of that is the most important aspect to making a change in that and what's really important about that (laughs) layers upon layers is having people in your life who accept that about you and help facilitate that as well Mm. and so i'm really lucky that i've kind of you know curated in some ways a group of friends um, and also sort of friends have fallen away or I've fallen away from people for whom that's a difficult relationship to have, you know, me being on my my banana phone or being out of reception at Mandra every week.
0: <laughs> that I was about to ask my one of my final questions, but that's mm. taken me to a different place. How hard is it to, yeah, I'll say it, cut the people out who, so a man who is, who I really, Listen to and um, it possibly the most different person from you in the world. His name's David Goggins, who okay. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a mm-hmm. former Navy mm-hmm. SEAL, just this Brazilian calloused mind, absolute nutter. But he talks about this idea of a foxhole, which is sort of like an army term for mm-hmm. almost like a trench, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you want people in your foxhole who are going to want the best. From you, but also do the best for you. Mm. Yeah. Not people who are going to be there to not hold you to account and pat you on the back and say it's okay Mm. when sometimes you really need to kick up the bum. And it's about having people in your foxhole that are the right people Mm. and also not picking people who surround you with comfort. Mm. You know, because sometimes I want to quit drinking, but if I have a friend who enables that, I keep them in my foxhole because I know that on the times when I want to drink, they're going to be there and I can go to them, but it's about cutting them out, which is what's best for you. That was also Mm. not a real thing. I don't like drinking. (laughs) I have no one who wants to drink with me, so that's a complete lie. (laughs) Um, But... How hard is it? It is really difficult to cut those people out. Mm. One, because your mom wants to be comfortable and sometimes it wants someone who's going to be like, just get a smartphone, dude, or just have Mm. a beer and chill out. Mm. Um, But also, it's an uncomfortable thing and sometimes you feel like a bad person when you're cutting someone out. How difficult has it been for you to make decisions about the people that you surround yourself with?
1: Mm. I'm not that good at it, I'll be honest, because... Mm. I think of some of my friends who are really good at, if there's someone that they don't want to be around because there are uh, someone who is having a you know a toxic influence on their life in that sense, mm. or or someone who they don't really have time for because they don't click well with, are really good at just not you know not communicating with that person. If they see them just say hi and walk on. But you know, I I can be overly polite sometimes, and mm-hmm. and I try and keep up you know. connection with these people even though i know the reason that it's hard to keep a connection with is because we don't click well or i don't agree with their you know opinions or approach to certain things or whatever it happens to be as Mm. you say Uh, and so sometimes i just kind of let it slide and you know won't reply to messages or or i say yeah let's catch up sometime if i see them in the street and then don't follow up on it Mm. when it's better to just say hi and keep walking yeah uh, so, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. That's kind of a natural drift, you mm-hmm. know. That's that's what's happened with a lot of and it's part friends of being that I've human. Made. Yeah, exactly. Want to hurt people. Exactly. Yeah, you want to be nice to people, and you can only really have so many people in your life as well that you can maintain a really genuine connection with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I need to be better. I'm just gonna say I don't really have good advice for that because I need to be better at just being comfortable with with people being like, oh, that was a bit rude of Riley not to reply to me, or mm-hmm. just saying to them look, I don't think I'm going to have time and I probably won't, won't see you, you know. yeah, Won't be able to catch up like I said I would mm. and just leave it at that, you know. <laughs> and it's so. not
0: easy, I don't think, if you were to have an answer for that of mm. a step-by-step guide to cutting people out of your life, you'd yeah. be a psychopath. Yeah, but probably. the way that you're thinking about <laughs> it and the way that you're trying to make decisions that are better for you mm. proves that you're on the right track eventually, without having to break anyone's heart and hurt anyone's feelings. Now, we sort of, I guess, come to the end of it. And a word that I've written a lot is passionate, right? And I'm very similar to you. If I find something I'm passionate about, Mm. I could be the smartest person in the world if the thing that you put in front of me is the thing that I'm most passionate about. Because I'll give it 100% and it'll bring everything out of me and all of my joy and everything will go into that Mm. and nothing can stop me. But I guess there's two parts to the question. One about harnessing the passion. Mm -hmm. How do you go about doing that? And two, I can say that there's some of my passions in life that I avoid because they're uncomfortable or it's a harder path to go down Mm. the passion. How did you come to the terms of being like, well, I love poetry and it's something I'm passionate about and whether or not someone thinks it's arts and airy-fairy or not, I'm going to do it and it's going to lead me to where I want to go. Mm. How have you harnessed the passion and how have you ac- accepted your passions, I suppose, as well? Mm.
1: For me, the the passion for poetry is a really good example. Mm. is It's quite similar to my experience of poetry, which is that... You know, in these words on a page, they mean whatever they mean, but there's something beyond that as well. There's something that is ineffable, that is is fleeting, that kind of triggers this strange feeling in me that mm. I don't get from anything else. And I feel like for other people, that might be other things that trigger something as well, that it's an almost metaphysical experience. This thing that I'm really passionate about just conjures... So much motivation for me, so much emotion, you know, happiness, but also pain and sadness and and terror. And, and if you find something like that in your life, it's a no-brainer. It's, you know, it's kind of the essence of life. Mm-hmm. Poetry for me is like the best kind of conversation with someone or the best experience of the natural world because it just triggers just all kind of the full range, the full gamut of human emotions, you know, and and I think people can have that for all kinds of things. And so harnessing that uh, is overcoming any societal pressures or within your friend group or your hockey team that think that's kind of uncool you know hopefully some of the guys will listen to this from our hockey team and and really understand how i feel about poetry you know sometimes i feel like that about hockey hockey can be poetry too Mm. but it's being it's kind of taking step by step the the kind of confidence in that as well Mm. and so for me that's being more confident in sharing that with people, you know, in a medium like this, or at hockey, you know, talking about it with people that I normally wouldn't, uh, and being confident in, kind of, you know, just backing yourself mm-hmm. and slowly pushing away those voices inside you that say, you know, poetry is not a real job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reading and writing about poetry and writing poetry is not is not real. What what difference is that going to make to the world, you know? Mm. Sometimes it's also about not feeling the need to have to convince other people of it. Because I know it. I know how, you know, how impactful mm. really good writing can be, you know, and I can try and convince people of it. I'm happy to do that. But if at the end of the day, they kind of shrug and don't get it, then you got to do it anyway, because, mm. you know, you believe it. Go for it, you know, chase after it and and, and just just kind of take your path to it.
0: Yeah awesome this has been so good and as I said passion I've written it so many times and it keeps coming back that you're just such a passionate guy about where you're going let's go one more question yeah it'll be like a three or five parter. when do you leave mm-hmm. what are you studying how are you feeling
1: uh, so, I leave, I'll leave in either August or September. Mm. So, I have tickets with one of my best friends to the Boy Genius concert in London in late August. Okay. So, that's, that's 50% drawing me to leave in <laughs> August. But then, my mum has offered me $1,000 to stay until September, oh <laughs> which I simply won't take, obviously. But my family and friends and me as well, kind yeah. of deep down, really would like to take an extra six weeks or month to stay in australia until september
0: in terms of that a thousand dollars if i'm in (laughs) perth if I'm in Perth in September yeah like is that transferable oh yeah definitely so if you go yeah, and yeah. I'm still here yeah so whoever's still that. here
1: gets the thousand dollars so you're my ma-
0: anyone in Perth <laughs> in anyone September in you heard mom. it here first yeah <laughs> so we'll put a we'll put a link down the bottom fill out a yeah, google form if exactly. you're still here in September <laughs> 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 Riley's son's going go, you a thousand dollars anyway so yeah no
1: so I think I'm September. probably going to stay until September because yeah. then I get to enjoy an extra month of being in this place that I love be down south in my grandparents for longer, yeah. you know, play hockey right up until the grand final, which we'll win. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm leaving then, uh, which which is going to be, it's going to be good. It's going to be really sad though as well. I'm going to, yeah, really miss a lot of people yeah. and places here.
0: And it could be four years, as you said. Could be four years, yeah. yeah.
1: Hopefully I'll come back at some point in that time, but yeah. And because place is really important to me, mm. I think going into a new place, new ecologies, it's going to be strange. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to, I don't know... I don't know how I'm going to react to it. Maybe yeah. it'll be good. It'll be inspiring, motivating, interesting, or it might just, yeah, I might really struggle mm. with it, I think. So So I'm I guess that
0: leads into how are you feeling about going?
1: Oh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that it was, was, was the, part, part of the way, well, I guess so. Um, I, yeah, we got asked, actually, we had a Zoom call with the other Rhodes Scholars from around the world for this year, from all over the world, really cool people, uh, very interesting, and they asked, like, scale of 0 to 10, 10 being perfectly excited, zero being I don't wanna come. And I said five. <laughs> I was like okay. I'm bang in the middle, yeah. And yeah. I oscillate between a nine and a three probably. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, I'm I'm trepidatious about leaving mm. leaving home, people, but especially place, especially grandparents in that mm. people category. Uh, but it's just gonna be I know I'm gonna love it when I get there. Yeah. You know, amazing people. I'm studying, yeah, so I'm studying a master's of world literatures in English. I'll be living at Worcester College, which has buildings from the 13th century, a lake, a library, you know. I'm going to be in this place that has... Yeah, cool name, exactly. I'm going to be in a place that has, you know, some of the oldest libraries in the world. Just think of the smell of those books,
0: Luke. Uh, (laughs) Oh my, (laughs) you know exactly what I'm talking about.
1: Um, And yeah, just the opportunity to be surrounded by... This exciting thinking, the the kinds of, of people that I'll meet—it's yeah—it's pretty amazing. I I really fully feel the privilege that I'm you know about to experience, already experiencing, and being able to take a few months off in beforehand, uh, and that comes with the pressures that we've spoken about and the opportunities. Uh, and I'm just you know, I'm just gonna see how it goes.
0: <laughs> Every so often a and it's a quote from um, Dylan Friends, every so often a person comes on this podcast and I just want to run through a brick wall straight after you. Know, I'm, so <laughs> up, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, you have to come um, visit. Yeah. yeah. I, I um, You're such a passionate guy and it's been so cool to come and sit and talk to you because often we talk, but we're just friends, right? So mm. we don't really talk about that much interesting stuff. I mm. say, well done and you'll tell me about dates and i'll tell you about dates and <laughs> date passions and stuff and but in terms of it's been really awesome to hear about you and what you're actually doing in this thing that you're you're giving your life to i'm gonna go out on a limb and say you're definitely the smartest person that's ever been on this podcast <laughs> you're also our first um future prime minister not to put any pressure on <laughs> you as you talked about um, but it's been awesome to to sit and and have a chat and thank you very much for coming on the show mate and I wish you all the best for the future.
1: Thank you Luke yeah hopefully I'll be of the Booker Prize persuasion of Rhodes Scholars rather than the Prime Ministers but yeah no thank you very much it's been a pleasure I love you lots.
0: How good how good was that um what a what a special man what a special chat um he said some truly inspiring things some some things that that I sat down afterwards um, and just had a good hard think about my life, just thinking about what I want, how I feel. And um, no, it was, it was really special to be joined by Riley. And I, and I hope you enjoyed the episode and, and got as much out of it as I did. Um, I thought it was a really special chat. Now, please make sure before you go, you like, subscribe to the show, leave a rating, leave a review, tell your mates, tell your mum, tell granddad, tell anyone you can. Um, because yeah, I think, um, people like Riley and the people that I've got along, um, they're pretty special and I think their stories are definitely worth, worth sharing. Now that's about it from me, I reckon. Um, new episode coming out in a couple of weeks time. Keep your ears peered for that, but that'll do, I reckon. Uh, I'll be back then, but in the meantime, check in on your mind, check in on your mates and I'll see you next time.